The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Steve Grasso. Tonight on Fast, a tech wreck rocking the markets with Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Alphabet, and Tesla combining to lose nearly $500 billion in market cap today alone. Is this a sign of a true tech reckoning? And should this sell-off send you rushing to safe havens like gold? We'll break down the opportunities for the precious metal. Plus, what the VIX can tell us about just how long the pain of today's market could last. And if you've got questions about what to do after the sell-off and why wouldn't you, we'll get you some answers in the special hour of Total Request Fast Money tonight at 6 p.m. We'll try to help you make sense of all the action today. But we start off with all the red on Wall Street. Stocks are trading from all-time highs as the Dow goes back negative for the year, dropping over 800 points in its biggest one-day decline since June. As, as we said, tech stocks really leading the charge today. The sector dropping nearly 6%, snapping a 10-day winning streak, posting its biggest drop since March. So... Is this only the beginning? Guy Adami, what do you think? Hi, hi Mel. Remember the Carpenters? Remember, by the way, the Carpenters are one of my top five favorite we've bands We've only just of all begun. Time. And they sang, we've uh-huh. only, yeah. look at you. See, you're in my head. Scary, actually. But I'll say this. Uh, 20, as I've said many times, 24 hours is not a day making. We're basically back where we were a week or so ago. And I don't want to get into the Vixers, and we're talking about it later. But I will say we've talked about it now for the better part of a week and a half, how Despite the fact that the broader market was rallying, the VIX was trying to tell you something, and maybe today is what it was trying to tell you. Uh, the internals of the market haven't been particularly good. But again, this just gets us back to levels we saw last week. I do believe it's the beginning of something, but it could all reverse tomorrow on jobs numbers. We've seen it before, and we've come back after a long weekend to find the market up significantly. So I'm not going to make a huge deal out of this because I don't make a huge deal when it goes higher. But clearly there are things to be concerned about, Mel. Yeah. Grasso, what would you make of the action today? Yeah, I think I'm going to make a huge deal out of it. I, I, I think we are just on the precipice of, of a much bigger decline. I had said a couple of days ago I thought we could fade anywhere from 10 to 20 percent. So we got about four and change percent today. So obviously the quick, easy math, we have a lot more to go. I think tech going to continue to weaken. Now, the, the big question is, do you see value run in the face of this sell-off? Today we saw, we saw banks airlines, and a handful of other stocks able to rally early with the cruise lines and the reopening stocks. But the truth is, if the market sells off 20%, it's taking everything down with it. So I am positioned for the tech sell-off. I'm positioned for the sell-off. But unfortunately, I'm positioned for the cyclical bounce. So that remains to be seen whether that's going to happen. But that's the way I I am positioned right now. And I do think we have much further to go with the sell-off in terms of levels. And I don't know whether that happens in two days, 
two hours tomorrow mm-hmm. or two weeks. You know, for, for many, many sessions now, we have been saying that this is a market that's a little bit uh, d- divorced from fundamentals, if we can call it that, uh, moving basically on this notion that there's so much liquidity out there. Karen, you made the argument that there is no alternative, basically, for these ele- you know, elevating uh, PEs. But here we are today. What do you think happened? And do you think that that argument of there is no alternative, that maybe there is an alternative at this point in time in this market run? Well, I think, I mean, what happened today is really built upon what's happened for the last few weeks, particularly uh, the last 10 days where the really, you know, growthy ones just went absolutely parabolic. So I think this pullback is the beginning, not the end, um, but I don't think it is the end of the bull market. So... You know, a day like today, um, I'm going to get, you know, on uh, positions like Apple and Google and uh, or Alphabet, I, you know, I'm definitely going to get hurt on that. And then I also try to think about, all right, what do I want to own? What am I looking to buy? And I think I will get a chance because I think we're going to see more pressure. Just think about also I own often protection. And so S&P puts, I think about, all right, the VIX is really shut up. I know Guy mentioned it. We'll get to it more. But I'm not ready to sell VIX yet, especially going into a long weekend um, with a sell-off like this the day before. So um, I didn't do anything to trim hedges. I think there could be a lot more pain. But I'm also looking for things to buy, things that are not like a, a um, I, I mean, DocuSign had great earnings, but the valuation's huge there. Things like a FedEx I would like to buy. I would like to buy some Lowe's. I think I might get a chance to do that cheaper. I would like to buy some more Walmart. I'd like to buy some URI. So I'm not throwing in the towel at all. I want to get into some of those more cyclical names and then some of the, the value names and banks. If I didn't own banks, I probably would have started buying today. Dan, I already own them. Dan, do you have a shopping All that list? having been said, I think more to go. Dan, do you have a shopping list? I didn't hear the... What's the question? Do you have a shopping uh, list? Shopping list. <laughs> um, well, there is an alternative, and it's cash. And, and I think if you listen to Jim Cramer passionately on the closing bell in the prior hour, you know, he's kind of urging some of these people who are new to the stock market, who've only seen the stock market go up, who have fabulous gains in some stocks that they don't even know what the companies do, um, to take some profits. And I think that sort of sentiment may kind of really kind of permeate through this new investor class a little bit. Um, And I think that's the thing that could probably keep some of these high valuation growth stocks that perceive winners of the pandemic. It could kind of be the start of something as we head into the end of the year. Um, Let's just use one example, though. Let's use Apple uh, Computer. This company literally, you know, traded up 30, 40 percent from its last earnings just a little more than a month ago. Um, It went up in a straight line, gaining, what, $600 billion in market cap. This is a company that has not been meaningfully growing their earnings on an organic basis in a couple of years. The stock had already rallied precipitously in 2019 in a year where its major product did not grow units. And now, obviously, the story about better margins because of the mix shift with services or whatever, but their services growth is only in the teens percentage-wise. But this this company was trading at 40 times earnings yesterday. 
okay, at its highs. And that just doesn't make any sense. And we've seen analyst after analyst trip over themselves to come up with all this mental gymnastics of how to justify the price action. And I don't really blame them because it's not in their best interest working in an investment bank to put a sell on a stock, but sometimes it makes sense to sell a stock. And that's what happened today in a whole host of names. So, you know, if you're wondering at the start of 2019, when Apple had pre-released for the first time negative earnings in a decade, and the stock was trading at 14 times earnings, and then a year later it's trading at 30 times earnings, and then a year later it's trading at 40 times earnings, you have to start saying to yourself, what the hell's going on here? Um, but, you know, I, I, listen, people have been paid to take that risk. I think that the dynamic might have changed in the short term, because I think we just had a bit of a blow off. I think that, the that's, last few weeks. that's an interesting point to bring up. And we have been talking about this for some time. You know, the notion that analysts are sort of all over themselves in order to, you know, reestablish price targets to chase these markets higher, Guy. And I'm wondering, you know, in terms of the psychology of the markets, where that leaves us and we have a steep sell off like today and, and you had all, a string of analysts say for Apple day after day after day, new street high price target. And then here we are. Listen, we have wonderful analysts come on the network on our show, um, and they're wonderful analysts that don't come on and do amazing work uh, that we read almost every day. With that said, my concern has been that I think for some, they're getting a price target and then backing into it instead of doing the work and then spitting out a price target, if that makes sense. And I think it might make sense to some of the folks out there. But then you have really recognizable people like Tony Dwyer, for example, who, by the way, has gotten his spot on dead right who recently pulled his price targets, and Tony can speak to why he did that, but I think he feels like you know, it's sort of a fool's game to try to put targets on a market right now that doesn't seemingly care. And I think, I think it was Heather Bellini, and I'm sorry if it wasn't, but again, in terms of Goldman Sachs and Zoom made the comments like, you know, we see what's going on here. Uh, we're raising our price. We're raising our rating to neutral, understanding that it really doesn't make a lot of sense. So I think you have a lot of people in our community scratching their heads. I think quickly, uh, not that we're trying to find reasons for the sell-off today, but don't underestimate the, again, headlines of potentially the Chinese selling U.S. Treasuries. And I know the Treasury market is huge, and we're only talking about $200 billion potentially, so it's a drop in the bucket. But the message that potentially could send might have been the straw today, to Steve's earlier point. The symbolic nature of that would be very important to the psychological aspect of this market. But, I mean, just quickly, because we, we do want to get to the chart master on, on if there is technical damage to this, uh, to this market. Karen, I want to bring you back in because you've been grappling with this in terms of a fundamental market versus a market driven by liquidity. And so this whole notion of, of analysts saying, you know what, we, we recognize that the stock is going higher. We do like this stock on a relative basis within our coverage universe. And so we got to back into that price target. I mean, investors have been doing a little bit of that mental gymnastics also in terms of saying, you know what, I recognize that the P.E., for instance, for maybe for an Apple is expensive compared to itself. But but I got to be in this name. I mean, is isn't that sort of a little bit of what has driven you to hold your position? Yeah, that, that's, that's exactly right. So, you know, I often talk about how I don't like a valuation that or a new price target that's based on a new multiple. I'd much rather have a higher earnings on an old multiple. But we're in this new multiple, which is driven by super low rates or even negative rates, where you can back into a, you know, extremely high market multiple. So for me, I, I, I am long Apple. I'm still long Apple. Um, 
I'm staying Long Apple, partially on the, the I don't have an alternative. My mandate, you know, is to be invested. But uh, I feel like it got ahead of itself, but I'm going to wait it out because I think over time that um, I will end up making money from here in Apple. Maybe not tomorrow, probably not tomorrow. And that's okay because also, aside from do I have another alternative, is do I sell it, take a big realized gain, pay taxes on that, and then am I able to get back in at the right time? Mm -hmm. And I have not a lot of confidence in my ability to top tick the market on the way out and bottom tick it on the way in. And if I believe in the longer term story, it's not going to always trade at fair value. It's super rich now, but I think ultimately it will be worth this value. Yeah, important considerations. All right, let's get Warren today's sell off uh, the technical aspect of it. Let's bring in the chart master Carter Worth to break it down. So, Carter, I guess the big question here is has there been uh, damage to the markets? Has, has there been damage done to the tech sector in particular? Well, in, in many ways, yes. But I mean, conceptually, we're well past what analyst price targets are, competing with one another to raise those targets, the multiple for the market. That's long ago behind us. It's, it's a function of momentum. And we know that whenever you have a fever, it's hard to know when it might break, but you know when you see a fever. It happens in auctions for art. Uh, it happens for Ferraris. It happens in the, uh, the local corner where people are trying to overpay for houses 20% above cash. When there's a frenzy, there's a frenzy. Now, they don't ring bells at the top, but you all referred to a lot of different chimes. The fact, one, that the VIX was not confirming. The fact that both Tesla and Apple split their stock uh, as people are pouring in more and more. The fact that we were making all-time highs in the S&P and only 13% of the stocks in the S&P are making all-time highs. The average stock in the S&P uh, is down 25% from its all-time highs. 50% of all stocks in the S&P have no gains for two years. These are all bells. In any event, let's look at some charts. So the first chart is just a one-year chart of the S&P 500, no judgments or annotations by me. Look at the second chart. Now, what we do know is if you do break out, if you will, move above a prior top, uh, one reference point to use is the top from which you broke out. So we know that the January-February peak before the pandemic hit was 33.94 on the S&P, and the high today before uh, this reversal, 35.88. So were we simply to drop back to that top, that's about a 5.5% sell-off, and we've come a good uh, way already. We've done much of that. Take a look at the next chart. Now, drawdowns are normal. Since the March low, we've had three distinct givebacks. There was a 7.2% decline, which you can see there, a month or two later, a 6.4, and then an 8.3. We're due for that kind of thing. The question always is, and is the one that starts now, does that become a much bigger one? This is as good a bet as any, but the point is, as of now, it's perfectly normal. Uh, and then let's talk about tech. So here's a chart of the tech sector, the fourth of the five charts we're going to look at, and you can see a well-defined trend line. And the presumption is that we break trend. So the final chart, it's the same uh, concept as the S&P. One reference point to use is the prior high from which you broke out. Now, were the tech sector to go all the way back to its January, February high, you're talking about a 20% decline. Just to sum it all up, I think it's important to say that, again, no one can know when a fever will break, but we know what a fever looks like. We know what a frenzy is as people bid more and more. It's not about valuation. It's nothing but that so-called Tina. There is no alternative, but that is not true. And Dan said it. 
The alternative is cash. Uh, Carter, that's quite a bold call at this point. You're basically saying by looking at the charts, the alternative here is, in fact, cash? Well, remember, see, it's, it's, it's the paradox of, of the investment community. It used to be that you were responsible for assets and mm -hmm. a certain amount in cash, certain amount in bonds. You might do real estate or precious metals. We're so spliced and diced now that I'm only mid-cap TMT, and that's my mandate, so I can't hold cash. And that becomes a self-fulfilling thing, a portfolio manager that's so pegged and wedged into a spot. But the concept of stewardship of capital, of course cash, is an important part of that process. Carter, thank you. Always great to get your insights. Carter Braxton Worth of Cornerstone Macro. A number of this year's hottest stocks, as we mentioned, got slammed by the sell-off today. So we want to know, and I'm sure you want to know out there, is this an opportunity to get in or perhaps there's more pain to come? We'll get some answers in. Trade it or fade it, sell-off edition. So we kick off things with Apple, leading the Dow lower today, falling nearly 7%. And I'm sure a lot of people out there are saying, they, maybe this is my chance, Dan. I missed the whole run. What do you say? Trade it or fade it? Yeah, I faded here. I mean, again, I just said that stock went up a you know six hundred billion dollars in market cap since their earnings um, less than a month ago, or a little more than a month ago. Um, you know, you're going to have an opportunity to buy this stock probably back at that breakout level to one ten or so, and then then get back in. You know, it depends on your time horizon. But if you're thinking about playing for a quick pop. Um, back to the prior highs, I think that comes from lower levels. All right. Next up, Tesla shares hitting the skids today, down nearly 10 percent. And of course, it had been down for a couple of days prior to today's decline. So Grasso, some people are wondering if they should get in here. Yeah, Tesla, to me, when they announced they're going to do rolling dilution points, uh, in other words, they're going to be issuing new shares and, and they're going to do it on a consistent matter. That's going to be dilutive to shareholders. So this is a fade, play the music or play the sound. There you go. So I think you're gonna be able to trade this. This is gonna be like what Dan just said for Apple, but it's gonna be on steroids. I'd wait for much lower levels to jump back into Tesla. All right, next up, Zoom, a big work from home winner this year falling double digits. Trade it or fade it here, Karen? Um, I, I would fade it, which doesn't mean I would short it, but I can't look at this and say, oh, if only I could buy it at 380, that would be a good place, and now I can. It's still just, you know, stratospheric, so fade, uh, fade it. All right, last but not least, check out shares at Chipotle down about 5%. So, Guy, what would you say here, trade it or fade it? Yeah, the logical answer is fade it, but I, you know, I'm going to stay with this one. I think the environment has set up well for CMG. I don't think anything has fundamentally changed other than the market. As Steve correctly points out, you know, if the market sells off in a meaningful way, you know, 70, north of 70% of stocks are going to follow. But I happen to think CMG might be the one that doesn't. So I would stay in the trader camp, CMG. All right. Um, let's move on here. DocuSign, of course, is one of the uh, other work-from-home stocks, so to speak, that were hit really, really hard in today's session. Uh, earnings after the bell here. Um, so let's get straight to Deidre Bosa, who's got all the details here. Deidre. All right, we're having trouble with uh, Deidre's mic, but 45% uh, revenue growth here for a DocuSign. It looked like all the metrics were good. The stock is down by 3.2% here in the extended hours trade. It often moves in sympathy and in tandem with uh, a name like a Zoom, which is seen as a, the beneficiary of all the same sorts of, of trends. Uh, Karen, what do you make of a name like a DocuSign here? 
I mean, it's a great product. Uh, I, I just the valuation is too high. I thought the earnings looked really great. The big revenue yeah. beat. I thought the guidance was good. I mean, there was a lot to like, except for where the stock is relative to uh, you know as a valuation. So. Um, even down a little bit, I wouldn't be a buyer here. Yeah, and initially it did look like it could bounce because we did have a trade higher in the after-hour session a guy initially at least until it fell uh, down by 3.6% now. Yeah, what did we play the other day? FOMO or... Or, or NOMO. Or, I, I momentum the NOMO or right fundamental, there, right. so no momentum, right. yeah. I should know the NOMO part because I know you know this, one of the great Dodger pitchers of all time. I know he's one of Obviously. your favorite, Mel, right, if you remember. At, at any rate... You know, the reason why I thought this was particularly dangerous is because stock went from 200 to 290 in a straight line, basically. Now, here we are at 235 or so. I think there's an entry level to buy it. And my sense is you buy it back where it broke out from, which is 195. And it gets there. I think you buy it with both hands because the story isn't broke. It's just the stock got ahead of itself. All right. Coming up, chips getting checked in a big way today. We'll dive into the pain for the sector and break down what's next. And later, today's market volatility may have you running for cover, but how much longer will the pain go on? We'll search for any light at the end of the tunnel. But first, take a look at the stocks that were the biggest drags and a very big down day for the Dow. A special two-hour edition of Fast Money is back in two. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. The semiconductor ETF, the SMH, getting crushed in today's sell-off, but there could be a lot more than meets the eye to today's smackdown. Josh Lipton's got the details behind this drop. Josh. So, Melissa, some investors clearly deciding it was time to sell some chips. Check out that SMH. The ETF that tracks the sector finished deep in the red today. At the day's end, it had its worst day here since June 11th. Some of the hardest hit names included high flyers like NVIDIA and AMD, as well as names like Skyworks and Corvo. Two analysts I checked in with say at least some of the sell-off could be traced to Sienna, a company that supplies optical equipment to the big carriers guided below the street. Worst day since 2008 for that name. So was that an outlier or the start of something bigger? Even with this pressure today, though, what a run. The SMH still up about 80% since its March lows. Piper's Harsh Kumar highlights two big potential concerns that chip investors do need to think about, he says. One, valuation after such strong runs. And two, the election. How does that impact U.S.-China dynamics going forward? On that point, Bloomberg now reporting that China is planning what it calls a sweeping set of new government policies to develop its own domestic chip industry. And one final data point for chip investors to think about, Broadcom just reporting results calling for Q4 guidance of about 6.4 
$1.4 billion. Street was at $6.2 billion. Melissa, back to you. All right, Josh, thank you. Josh Lifton, of course, semiconductors at a new high just in yesterday's session. So, Grosso, maybe this sell-off in particular is not entirely a surprise given where it was coming from. Sure, and, and this one wasn't one of these high flyers. It was only up 11%. Uh, year to date, when you look at an, uh, an AMD, which was up about 80% year to date, or NVIDIA up uh, now after a little bit of a sell-off here, up 120% year to date. So those two, the latter two, are the sexier names in the chip space. I think you're going to have much more room to the downside on all of these names. But when I look at the value play, that's Intel. Intel you get, actually get a yield from. So you could see... People that got run over in Intel actually dip a toe on this sell-off in these growthy names just to do that yield hunt and that value play. Yeah, um, but you got to believe that ultimately your, your yield is not going to be um, outweighed by the decline in the actual share price, guys. So I guess sure. the question here is, you know, for, for chip stocks in particular, they are at the cross-section of, of growthy technology, but then also the ultimate cyclical play. So what do you think the forecast is for the chip sector in a market that might, might be hitting some um, uh, speed bumps, shall we Road. say? Speed bumps. Yeah, no, it's in, so I'm inside your head again. So attention, Karen addressed that uh, yield point that you could get it wiped out in a day last night during the 6 o'clock mm-hmm. special. I do pay attention to these things. So, and your question is the right question. You know, what does it mean for the – listen, it's clear that the world has changed and it's, and it's set up perfectly for what all these companies are doing. But you have to ask yourself, NVIDIA now is a $330 billion or so company. In my opinion, just my opinion, the companies of that magnitude shouldn't move 10% in one day. And this has happened now a couple days. It's problematic. It speaks to something uh, bigger problem with the broader market. We're obviously uh, having some problems with Guy's shot. So, uh, Dan, I don't know if you're in his head and able to continue his thought or if you've got your own on the chip sector. <laughs> well, listen, I think we just did our viewers a big solid there by pulling the mic there. Um, well, I listen, might have I'll hit just, a button or something, you know, but, uh, you know. You know, you know um, so you, you, you guys, no, no, you're out, buddy. Um, so you're talking about the SMH here. And, you know, 13% of the weight of the SMH is Taiwan Semiconductor. 23% customer is Apple. Really interesting today, while Apple closed near its dead lows, down 8%, Taiwan Semiconductor closed 3.5% off of its lows. Can you imagine if that stock had closed down 5 or 6% or so, we would have seen an absolute bloodbath in the SMH. So it was really interesting to see some relative strength in the largest member of the SMH. That said, Mel, you made a great point. You got the growth. You got the cyclicality. I think that this is a group that obviously signaled the bottom back in March, at least as far as tech was concerned. But it might also be the one that pulls back and kind of stays back because some of those large components got very, very expensive, very, very ahead of themselves. But I'd watch Taiwan Semi. That could be a really good tell for this group in the next week or so. All right, we got a lot more fast money coming up. Here's a little taste of what's to come over the next 90 minutes. Looking for a bright spot in today's sea of red? We'll tell you what unlikely group was able to eke out some significant gains today. Plus, if you've got questions about how to navigate today's turbulent market, we're here to help. Tweet us at CNBC Fast Money, and we'll get you some answers. There's a lot more Fast Money coming up after this break. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? 
Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. The broader market sell-off hitting a key group involved in the hunt for the coronavirus vaccine. Biotech stocks dropping almost 4% today. It comes as drug makers race toward the finish line in the vaccine race. And of course, yesterday we got news from uh, the New York Times that the CDC, now confirmed by many sources, that the CDC has sent out uh, directives to various states to prepare for the distribution of a vaccine. There are also a few key dates in terms of the vaccine pipeline. October 22nd uh, being uh, the FDA vaccine uh, update meeting. Uh, Meg Terrell's got the roundup of all the developments that could be moving the markets here. Meg. Hey, Melissa. Sorry for my technical issues here. One of the biggest pieces of news that we got today was from Pfizer. They are among the two companies in the lead in the efficacy trials for their vaccines. Uh, their CEO, Albert Borla, is saying today that they have now enrolled 23,000 participants of the planned 30,000 in their phase three. They're going ahead of schedule. And he said that they, they could have enough data by the end of October, to know whether the vaccine works and to be ready for FDA approval. They say they are now putting together the application so that they could file really immediately. So that they could file really immediately after they have that information. Um, there was some doubt cast upon that by uh, Dr. Fauci and by Monsef Slowey, the head of Operation Warp Speed, today. Take a listen to what they said in two separate interviews. If someone comes out and says, you know, I'm going to shoot for the possibility that I'll get it by October, you can't argue strongly against that. That's unlikely, not impossible. I think most of the people feel it's going to be November, December. There is a very, very low chance that um, the trials that are running as we speak could read before the end of October. And therefore, they could be uh, if all other conditions required for an emergency use authorization are met. Uh, an approval. I think it's uh, it's extremely unlikely, but not impossible. So, Mel, of course, a lot of people very curious about that date, especially given it's so close to the election on November 3rd and given that there was that letter from the CDC this week to governors urging them to be prepared by November 1st to distribute a vaccine. Uh, what we're hearing from the folks on the government side, from Dr. Fauci and Monsef Slaoui, uh, is it's just good to be prepared. They are not counting on a vaccine being ready that early. Pfizer, though, does seem pretty confident. Mel? Meg, thank you. Meg Terrell. And of course, uh, Pfizer didn't escape the sell-off today. It was down 2%. Moderna managed to eke out a small, wee, teeny, weeny gain here. Um, but Guy, it was uh, in the cruise lines, the airlines uh, that did well, relatively speaking, on the notion that uh, the economy could reopen. 
Yeah, on a, on a lousy tape. And I thought, you know, we mentioned them yesterday and thought, you know, if, if the news was such, those stocks should have done much better yesterday. So maybe they just took a day to catch up. Uh, so that's encouraging, clearly. In terms of biotech, going back to Meg, I'll still say this. You know, I still think the horse that's going to cross this finish line first has yet to be even spoken about in terms of who's going to come up with the vaccine. And I believe that. And if you look at a lot of these stocks, I mean, yes, you mentioned Moderna's up on the day, but that stock's down from 95. Gilead has been a very difficult stock to own, despite the fact that it rallied over 80, back to 65. Uh, the list goes on and on. I think the IBB, if you really want to play at home and look for a level, 128 in the IBB is a level you really have to watch. In terms of breaking through on the downside, it gets concerning. I think it bounces from there. I think it closed at 130 or so today. All right, let's talk more about the airlines. In fact, take a look at them across the board, as we mentioned, bouncing uh, back and bucking the broader market trend. Uh, United Airlines up by 1.4 percent on a very down uh, tape. Our next guest, though, warns that passenger growth isn't strengthening ahead of Labor Day weekend. Let's bring Helene Becker, senior airline analyst over at Cowan. Helene, it's always great to see you and get your thoughts on the sector. You're not any more positive than you were a couple months ago about the sector and in traffic trends? Hi, Melissa. Thanks again for having me. Um, no, actually, I'm not. I'm kind of disappointed because um, back in July, we saw about the same number of passengers per day we're seeing now. And that was a great recovery off the bottom. Um, the mid-April bottom was um, 89,000 passengers per day. We're running between 600,000 at the low end right now and 800,000 at the high end. Um, on peak days. And I think that's really disappointing because that's where we were a month ago. And we're still down 70% year over year. Um, basically, we're still hopeful to get to a million a day by year end. But I think it's going to take that vaccine um, to get people convinced, among other things, to get people to convince that they need to, they need to travel again. There are varying degrees, though, um, of approval for this vaccine, uh, though, Helene. It's a sort of complicated <laughs> story, right? I mean, there could be the emergency use authorization, which we're talking about in terms of the potential uh, pre-election, uh, you know, late fall sort of deadline. And then there's sort of the broader use, which may come a little bit later on. So is it your anticipation, like when you, when you think about a vaccine and the impact on the sector, is it enough for, let's say, emergency use authorization, which would not be for the general public, would be for first-line responders and, and for very vulnerable parts of the, of the population, that that would flip the switch, so to speak, on airlines in anticipation of the broader authorization, or do we need to see this actually distributed to the, to the public in order to see airlines see that bump in traffic? Okay, so I think three things about mm -hmm. that. One, yes, in a word. What you just said is so completely accurate. I think the idea of a vaccine will be hugely positive. So that's number one. I think the idea of when it's available to the general public is sort of little letter A or number two, in the sense that probably some people will be the first, you know, first in line, but there will be many people who will say, I will wait, you know, X months or X weeks. Um, then the second thing I would point out is quarantines and governments closing their borders. So we have to segment the market into international and domestic again and say, well, domestic is con you know, likely to continue to recover. But this whole idea of quarantine rules and um, things being open make it very difficult to figure out where to go. 
And then finally, international, I mean, borders are still closed. There are still huge issues, even with open borders um, and testing. I think a key element is testing. Obviously, that will help hugely. And I thought um, the United News Today, I don't know if you had a chance to see it um, because it came out very late, but they put an interactive map on their website, which I think is huge because it enables people to go on um, the web, click a state, see what the rules are, and make your decision um, in an informed manner about whether or not you can, you know, you should or could fly there. Helene, it's Karen. Thanks for coming on. Let me ask you something. With some of the cost cuts that uh, they've been making or will make if there are furloughed um, jobs as reported, what, what are the break-evens for, let's say, a Delta or a United? To, what capacity do they need to have to get to break-even, which buys them more time? Right. So that's kind of, that question is somewhat difficult to answer in the sense of this. Let's just say government aid continues into March. Then break-evens are relatively low, say 30% to 40%. Let's say government aid ends um, as expected on September 30th, and they go through with the furloughs, which we've calculated to be between furloughs and voluntary leaves to be somewhere in the neighborhood of 150,000 people. Then your break-even is going to bump up. Um, to closer to 60%. And that presupposes fares stay at second quarter levels. Um, as demand comes back, we expect fares to decline. Um, because once airlines figure out that they can stimulate demand and people will fly, they will lower fares. And also, remember, airlines always lower fares. I shouldn't say always, but a lot of times they lower fares when oil prices go down. So we're at $1.10 a gallon for jet fuel. A year ago, we were $1.80. Mm. That's a huge cost improvement, um, about a 40% cost savings year over year. Um, even if it comes up a little bit, it's still a big benefit to them that they're currently really not taking advantage of. All right. Helene, it's always great to speak with you. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks again. Thanks, oh. team. Helene Becker of Cowan. Guy Dami, it's a pretty dire picture painted here of the airline sector. Yeah, and what we don't talk about, we bring it up from time to time, is the fact that, you know, obviously the, the profitable, the high margin business is the business traveler. And you just look at the Zoom stock that we talked about for the last week and a half, two weeks. You know, I hate to say it, but I'll say it. Business travel is not coming back the way it was six or seven months ago, because I think people have learned, hey, guess what? We don't have to get on a plane to go cross-country to have a meeting. We can do it in the comfort of our own homes. And that is fundamentally going to change business travel, which is a real problem for the airlines. So I don't know if they can return to those levels uh, in, a, in, in the near future. I think one of the airlines today said it will be 2024 before they get even close. That said, it doesn't mean the stocks can't grind higher from here. 27 in Delta has been the pivot point. We've talked about that for a while. I don't think you have to go racing into these things, but they should absolutely be on your radar screen as trading vehicles. All right, coming up, will today's sell-off spark a rush to the safety of gold? The traders weigh in on the opportunities in the precious metal. And we're just a few hours away from the market open in Asia. We'll tell you how the trading day is shaping up on the other side of the globe. And as we head to break, take a look at some of the recent high flyers taking the biggest hits today. Much more Fast Money right after this.
Welcome back to Fast Money. A stock's plunge gold was able to stay relatively flat. Bitcoin, meantime, which had been acting like a safe haven this summer, took a real hit. Does this signal anything about what is next for the market? And Guy, I'm, I'm curious what, is, what you think uh, of gold's action, if it performed better or worse than you thought it would have amidst the sell-off. You know, Tim talks about this a lot. On big soft days in the broader market, the equity markets, we typically have seen sell-offs in gold that last a day or day mm-hmm. or two, and then it gets back on its horse. And that's what I think we saw today. Actually, I don't think the sell-off was nearly as bad as you would have thought, given what I just said uh, historically over the last couple of years or so. I Look, I'll say it again. I've said it a hundred times. Gold is, in my opinion, going significantly higher from here. I mentioned the potential for the Chinese to sell treasuries. I think that's extraordinarily bullish for gold. Uh, I think the world, if you've been waiting for a setup in gold for the last 20 years, it's never looked better than it does today, given what's going on. So, you know, the day-to-day permutations notwithstanding, I think it goes higher from here, Mel. Dan, what do you think of the notion of safe havens? I think it makes sense. I mean, listen, I'm not a gold bug. Guy's had a great, great call on gold. He's been just buying it on every pullback um, all year long. You know, I I do see higher highs. I know that, um, you know, a lot of people as a diversification tactic, the idea of putting a few percent in a gold or a Bitcoin or something like that, that makes sense. But, you know, GLD had that amazing move, the ETF that tracks it over the last few weeks and then came back 10% really hard. I'd say I'd really want to see this thing holding 180 um, because you could see a bit of an unwind. It seems to be a very crowded trade. And when we know when we get sharp sell-offs, we see correlations go up fairly dramatically. We saw it in Bitcoin. We even saw it in gold back in February and March. So I just I, I don't think you can always play um, the, the, you know, the inverse sort of trade as far as gold and equities and the dollar, that sort of thing. It doesn't always work. Yeah. And Karen, you're in Bitcoin. So what do you think of Mm -hmm. its performance as a safe haven? Well, I mean, Dan just touched on the correlation, obviously very high. And in fact, you know, I think the last two days have been far worse for Bitcoin than, say, the highest flyers, maybe maybe pretty bad. Um, But I still believe in the long term. I think the fundamentals of why I'm in it are setting up the same just as Guy feels about gold, the fundamentals of why you're in it, the fear about, you know, Fed printing money, the fear about fiat currency, potentially inflation, all those reasons. Uh, I'm staying with Bitcoin. All right. Coming up, the so-called fear index on the rise in a big way today. But what is it signaling about where the markets might be heading? We'll break that all down. Plus, more market turbulence means it is the perfect time for another total request fast money. Our traders will answer your burning investing questions right at 6 p.m. Eastern time. So stick around. Much more fast money is right ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Today's sell-off is rattling cages across the entire market. The Dow dropped nearly 800 points, but it was a high-flying tech trade that took the biggest tumble. Check out the queues getting crushed to the tune of 5%. So if you're in this trade and you're worried that today's pullback might just be the beginning of more volatility, you're not alone. In fact, the options market is signaling the possibility of turbulent times ahead in the tech trade. Mike Coe has the action. This is sort of a, a trade school. The more you know in an options action and rolled up into one, Mike, because we've been flagging the rising VIX along with the rising markets for days and wondering what that might be signaling was today the the reckoning, so to speak. I think it certainly was a part of that reckoning. As you point out, last week we saw two consecutive days where the S&P was higher and the VIX was higher. That's an unusual circumstance. Happened less than one and a half percent of all trading days going back to 1990. For That's basically when the VIX data first started. And what we have also seen is that basically the bid for calls in a lot of these high-flying stocks 
has also been going up ahead of what we saw today. That's unusual. Usually what you see is volatility drops as markets sort of steadily march higher. But sometimes when you're going to see a blow off top, the actual actually the opposite happens. Why is that? Because investors are still reaching for the momentum propelled by the Fed, but are concerned about valuations. And that's when you start seeing a bid for those calls. And that's why we've also seen record call options volumes relative to puts lately. And as we take a look at the VIX right now, so obviously we saw a big spike in it. This is also unusual. Less than 1% of days in the past have we seen VIX moves of this magnitude. Usually you see considerable volatility in the, in the days that immediately follow it. But it may surprise people to know that other than 2008, generally speaking, 30 days later, the market has actually done okay. It has sort of uh, recovered. So I think we're dealing with that damage right now, but I'm not surprised to see a lot of people trying to use options here because you are trying to stick with the momentum trade, but you're concerned about valuations. Makes sense. So basically, the ele- elevated uh, volume of calls, you're interpreting that as, as people replacing stock positions by, and being in the options instead. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, if you own stock and you buy downside puts, essentially you're trying to create some asymmetry in your returns. Buying calls is essentially trying to accomplish the same thing, maintaining a long exposure but risking less money to do it. And people are paying up for the privilege. And we can see that basically in call volumes and in the price of calls relative Mm -hmm. to puts and then also the overall level of options prices, which are significantly elevated. But I will say when you see big VIX spikes like this, Sometimes you get three days or so of bad volatility, but 30 days later, you might find the market higher. Right now, we're also pricing in significant volatility around the election. Right. Mike, thank you. Professor Coe to the rescue here. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, stocks plunging to end the trading day here in the U.S. We are heading across the Pacific to see what the day has in store for Asia's biggest markets. Much more Fast Money ahead. Big interview coming your way tomorrow. Vice President Mike Pence is first on CNBC to talk the jobs number, the state of stimulus, and a lot more. That's on Squawkin Street tomorrow morning, 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time. We are counting down to the open in Asia. Will Caloris is in Sydney with more on how the markets are setting up there. Will. Well, Melissa, we are expecting a bit of a drop-off when it does come to most of the Asian markets following on from that Wall Street lead. The Nikkei futures right now showing around about 365 points knocked off the top. It is worth remembering, though, that the Nikkei was sitting at 30-year highs because of a lot of the government stimulus. That's in dollar terms. As far as Australia is concerned right now, the SPY futures are showing around about a 1.9% drop at the open as well. This is pre the reset, however, but I suppose one of the byproducts for the Australian market is the fact that the Australian dollar got absolutely creamed on the back of that US dollar strength as the markets went down. So that came off by 1%. So it should buttress some of the commodity plays, even though some of our big iron ore miners in the ADRs lost around about 3% in the US trade. But I suppose the biggest gauge or the first gauge that you are likely to see is the New Zealand markets. They open in around about five minutes time. So that should set the tone for the rest of what we are expecting to see on the Asian markets, Melissa. All right. Well, thanks, Will Caloris in Sydney, Australia for us. Uh, Steve Grasso, we've had trouble with your shop. We got you on the phone (coughs) tomorrow, first thing in the morning. what What will you look at? So, you know, it's always that little bit of who's chasing who. So obviously we're going to see the a weakness in the Asian markets coming off of our our markets. And then when we get in, it, it, the, the play is going to be you want to see the American markets, the U.S. markets, continue to sell off and be weak prior to the opening. You don't want to see them try to recover based on a bounce 
before the New York Open. You'd rather see them open week, stay week for uh, maybe a, you know, a couple of hours of the day, and then try to rally. The problem, Melissa, is that we're going into a holiday weekend. So a lot of this stuff can be exacerbated or muted depending right. on how you look at it, but I would look for more weakness. All right. Uh, let's get to the final trades. And Grasso, while we have you on the phone, kick it off. So FedEx came out with uh, a statement saying they're hiring 27% more seasonal workers than they did last year. That's extremely bullish for the cyclical WRK, restaurants, containers, and packaging. That's where I'm at. All right. Dan Nathan. Yeah, AT&T, it's been a big, big laggard over the last few months here. There's a catalyst of them possibly selling their direct TV, 7% dividend yield. This one's okay uh, in and around 30 bucks here. Karen Feinerman. Yeah, so I'm always long, always long, but I always own some puts. And so I look at the VIX move in a day like today, and I think, is this the day to sell them? Not quite yet. I want to own them certainly for tomorrow, maybe into the weekend, and probably look to sell them on Tuesday. So if you own S&P puts, wait, don't sell them yet. Guy. Well, services traded okay today. Halliburton basically unchanged. Schlumberger higher. SLB, Mel. That does it for this hour. Don't go anywhere. Special bonus hour. Total request fast starts right after this. This one chart says it all on an astonishing day. The Dow down over 800 points as tech stocks. The market leader since the rebound began back in late March snapped a 10-day winning streak hard. Welcome to a very special bonus hour of Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Jim Cramer is off this week. We are covering all the action, stock to stock, sector to sector, and we are answering some of your questions about this surprisingly harsh day. With me this evening, Guy Adami, Karen Feinerman, and Bono and Eisen. Let's get right to it. The big question tonight, why today? guy. I wish I knew. You know, we talked about it at 5 o'clock in high mel. I thought one of the main reasons was you're always trying to back into these things, the reasons why. But I thought we underestimated or maybe the market has underestimated the U.S.-China relations. And I think all the headlines today that I was reading about the Chinese potentially selling 20 percent of their Treasury holdings, I think finally the market woke up to the fact that maybe this rhetoric is going to continue. That coupled with the notion, something we've talked about, that despite the fact that the broader market has been rallying in a meaningful way, the VIX, the volatility index, has been painting a much different story, and that manifested itself today as well. So those are the two things that I was looking at in terms of why specifically today. Yeah, Bono, when you try and figure out uh, what causes sell-off, where do you go to? What do you think of? Well, listen, I mean, I think um, you've got to look at lagging and forward-looking indicators, right? And as Guy pointed out, and as we've all said for quite, for quite a bit, uh, you know, that VIX had been increasingly elevating. It was rallying in tandem with the market, which clearly tells you, listen, it's not necessarily that we're going to sell off, but that there's going to be a bit more skepticism about the rally. And we've had the push and pull between value and growth. We've seen, uh, you know, an oscillation between how breadth and narrowness of the market. And I think all of those things have kind of contributed to a topsy-turvy, you know, type of pullback. I mean, it's hard. I, I don't see any one thing in particular that led to this, but I don't think any of us should be shocked to see this. We've had extremely high volatility to the upside. You shouldn't be shocked that you have volatility to the downside as well. Yeah. And Karen, there are so many new traders to this market who might not have experienced this sort of pullback in a single day. What do you tell them? And, and where do you think stocks? I mean, do you think this is the end to this massive run that we've had? 
Well, I think that's the, that there are so many new traders is part of the reason that we've had this big up, and I think a part of the reason maybe that we have this big down. I mean, when I think about the Robinhood trader, I don't know on average if the Robinhood trader has margin uh, has margin debt, right? So if you owned a stock and you enjoyed the way up, right, that's great. But did you take any money off the table to, to, to decrease your margin? If not, then we're going to see a lot of selling pressure continue. And I think that's part of what's happening today. When you think about the names that really exploded to the upside and you think about the overlap with what I think of as Robin Hood type of names, that overlap is really high. So I think that th this will continue to the downside. If we see margin calls, that takes a day or two. So I think that's why I think this downtrend will continue. But I think ultimately there, is, there are things to buy, and I want to be out there buying them, but not quite yet. Yeah, and you had a couple of names in the 5 o'clock, but uh, Lowe's among them, right? FedEx, I think, yep. is one that you mentioned as well. Yep. Good memory there, Mally. Lowe's, FedEx, uh, Walmart, mm -hmm. um, URI. Something that I don't want to buy, though, uh, would be something like a Macy's. Yeah. Bono, and do you have a shopping list? Uh, I do. I mean, I can... It's, it's pretty extensive as well. So listen, a lot of the tech names, is, and we've known, like I've been a bit bulled up on this tech thing for a while, but I also preach prudent risk management. So for me, I'm looking at everything from, as Karen said, Walmart, Lowe's, Target, to Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley, uh, to FedEx and some of the transports. Um, but a lot of the tech names, right? CrowdStrike. Uh, uh, you know, I'm staying away from names like Tesla. If there's a level that it gets there, I'm happy to own some of it. Um, but Apple, Amazon, Baba, names that I've been taken out of because I had stop limits in. I'm looking for levels to retrench there as well. Absolutely. And if, what Karen's, point, if Karen's point is correct, and, mar and this is margin call driven, then to me, that's more of a, um, a supply-demand technical type of situation rather than people reevaluating valuations or or changing you know their investment thesis so for me as dan said yesterday you pick a spot where you want to own these names mm -hmm. put a limit order in and then own them all right and, and guy uh you as well a shopping list perhaps well i think karen spoke to this last night i, I the banks were trading really well today to a certain point that everything sort of got flushed but the banks to me is where you want to be i mean the banks are not the problem in this environment and i think people have stayed away from them for good reason, because there's been so much money to be made in some of these high flyers. But I think when people come to their senses, they'll realize, I think Karen can speak to this, valuation-wise, these banks are attractive. That coupled with the fact that the problem isn't in the banks this time. The banks have actually uh, secured themselves and fortified themselves to a point where they actually could be a safe harbor going forward. So I would say the banks. All right. Well, as we mentioned, tech stocks leading the markets lower, but the pain wasn't all equal. Josh Lipton's got more on this. Josh. So, Melissa, let's start with the world's most valuable company. Check out Apple coming under pressure, falling about 8% in today's trade. Its worst day since March, now about 12% off its all-time high. But keep this move in context. It's still up about 130% over the past 12 months, up about 50% in the past three months alone. Other stocks that got clobbered, take a look at the SMH, the ETF that tracks the chips. Its worst day here since June 11th. And some of the hardest hit names included NVIDIA and AMD, Skyworks and Corvo. 
Nashville. Many of the chip names have benefited from that work from home trend that has meant more demand for everything from PCs to the data center. But chip analysts do say valuation after such strong runs is a concern for investors to think about. And finally, investors sold out of the cloud stocks to the CLOU. Worst day since March. Among the notable laggards, high flyers like Zoom, Box, and Twilio. Again, though, keep in mind the moves all up triple digits since their lows in mid-March. Melissa, back to you. Josh, thank you. We've got some breaking news on the stimulus. Kayla Tausch has got the latest. Kayla. Melissa, we have one question answered, which is what House Democrats are set to propose uh, when they return later this month for their side of negotiations to keep the government open past a September 30th funding deadline. Uh, a, a senior Democratic aide says that House Democrats want to uh, pursue a clean continuing resolution, so a clean bill to keep the government open, and a separate bill for stimulus aid. There has been some speculation that perhaps Speaker Pelosi could combine the two as a challenge to uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell to vote on both at the same time. Uh, we are told by this aid that the Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin and the House Speaker Nancy Pelosi spoke by phone on Tuesday and that this approach by Democrats was discussed. We do not know what the approach of Republicans in the White House, the Treasury Department, and in the Senate will be or whether they will be on board to pass this clean a government funding bill or whether they will try to attach a stimulus bill of their own. We have reached out to our sources. We'll bring you more as we have it. But at least we know what Democrats are on board with, and that is separating the two funding packages, one for the government to continue uh, its operations through at least mid-November, another for a potential stimulus package. Melissa? Does this necessarily, Kayla, mean that we are any closer to the two sides getting together on stimulus? I mean, we had McConnell say, uh, in a report to The Hill that he's, you know, very pessimistic about anything happening before the election. It does not mean that we're any closer on stimulus, Melissa. Mm -hmm. And to be sure, that is going to be a fiery debate when the Senate comes back. The Senate is expected to release what we are expecting to be a skinny stimulus package in the realm of about $500 billion, which is even farther away from where Democrats believe their compromise at $2.2 trillion is. So there will be quite a heated back and forth on stimulus, but at least now we know that it is not the objective of Democrats to combine these two debates into a rather toxic form uh, to challenge the government to potentially shut down or else pass this uh, uh, very dollar stimulus package. All right. Kayla, thank you. Kayla Tashi with the very latest uh, from Washington. Uh, Guy Dami, you know, the sell-off, Maybe this will push lawmakers to move a little faster on the stimulus front. Yeah, or not so much. It's interesting, mm -hmm. right, because I think both sides have a vested interest on either side of the market going higher and lower. But, you know, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but I think to your point, when you see sell-offs of this magnitude, it's shocking to everybody. With that said, you know, I think Brian Kelly has said this. This is his biggest concern, this deal not getting pushed through. But I think this works to President Trump's benefit no matter what happens, because if the deal gets done, he'll say to the populace, look at this great stimulus deal I've gotten for you and your paychecks and, and your new checks. And if it doesn't get done, he'll say, look at the obstructionist Democrats, what they're doing to you and what they will do to you if you don't reelect me. So I think regardless of outcome, it's bullish for President Trump, which in, is probably bullish for the broader market. That's the way I look at it. All right, let's get back to tech and dive deeper into the sell-off with the viewer question from Apple, on Apple, from Bill in Virginia. Greetings from Culpeper, Virginia. My name is Bill Bertoni. Apple stock is 
a stock I've owned for close to 10 years. I've been accumulating shares, and it currently makes up 55% of the overall investments I have in my retirement and my wife's and my personal investment accounts. We've lived through the 7-to-1 split, the 4-to-1 split now. We've recovered all the initial investment we made into Apple. My question is, what should we do now? Should we sell off some or keep holding it? It's a good dividend stock for the future. Thank you. Wow. Talk about a concentrated portfolio. Karen, what do you tell Bill? Yeah. Well, there's a, lot, there's a lot going on there in that portfolio. First of all, congratulations to have owned it from way back when. Um, extraordinary gains. So that's going to lead me to, wow, whatever you do sell, you're going to pay, you're going to pay long-term gains, but um, you are going to pay taxes on that. So that's something to consider. But the overriding thing, the 55% concentration is very troubling. So for that reason alone, regardless of where it is, if this is your retirement account, I don't know how old you are, um, but I, 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 would, I would not be owning 55% of anything in my, in my portfolio. I just couldn't do it. it it's, um, Bonwin can really speak to portfolio management. I don't know, maybe he's fainted when he heard that 55%. But I think you have to take some off the table, either via puts or selling some, just to get down to a, just to diversify your risk. Bonowin's still uh, still conscious, uh, but but you know I think Barely. people like people like Bill Bonowin might say you know but this has been a winner. Look at all the gains that I've had. How can I if I had had a prudent portfolio management or whatever you want to call it way back when my portfolio wouldn't be nearly as big as it is today. Uh, and he would be right. Listen, I. Portfolio management and diversification isn't about hitting a home run on everything. A large part of it is about having building blocks so that you can build wealth in a sustainable way over time. So, again, kudos to you for the calls on Apple. But, yes, to Karen's point, 55%, you've, I mean, I, I hate to do it, and I know you probably will fight me on this, but you need to rotate into something else, anything else. Um, if for no other reason than you have so much of your wealth now concentrated in that one name, if something were to happen, uh, you know, I just fear for what that might mean for your, for your wealth and liquidity position. Okay, so what if Bill says, all right, I'll sell some of my Apple guy, but I'm going to buy... Uh, Skyworks and Intel and Facebook and Amazon. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, my sense is, and again, Bonowin does this, he understands it, but you should get into things that sort of are not in the same vertical. You know, diversify means exactly that, diversify. And maybe it's 55% Apple now because of the gains and it's just organically grown to 55% mm -hmm. of your portfolio. But I think we would all agree just in terms of the absolute number, that's too high for any one stock. And keep in mind, and look, you know, I've liked Apple. I haven't liked Apple. I've been right. I've been wrong. But over the last two and a half years, you've seen drawdowns of 30 percent and north of 35 percent pretty much in a straight line if you go back to 2018 and then as recently as January and February. So it's not like this stock doesn't sell off. Down 12 percent now. I don't know if this is the beginning of something. But in the back of your mind, you have to have a plan. The plan can't be after the fact. I think you have to have a plan uh, before. And right now might be that before point. So 55% too much. Uh, maybe it should be more in the 20s, in my opinion, percentage-wise. All right. Let's hit Microsoft. We got a viewer question from Greg in New York. Hey there. Thanks for getting me on the show. My question is about Microsoft. 
So I own 40 shares and I've been building a position for the last year or so. It was at 80% profit and then went all the way to 90 before the big sell off today. And I'm thinking I should have taken some off the table. I know Microsoft has some great things going for it with its cloud and devices. So my question is, should I take some off the table now? And if so, how much? Thank you. Bonwin, what do you tell Greg? Um, I, I don't remember the level at which he got in, but it's, it sounds significantly lower. So I would say, yes, you take some off, you diversify, um, you know, and, and to the point, I, I do want to go back to that last point. You do need to diversify away only because you don't want a portfolio or even a single stock, right? That's, that's literally a correlation of one. So whether you are bullish on transports or bullish financials, the whole point is that you get a correlation that's at a sustainable level so that you are not so levered to one. But to, but to answer your question specifically, I would take some off the table just because it's prudent risk management. And I know I say that ad nauseum, but it's truly something that I believe in and something that will help you in dire situations. Karen, you uh, own Microsoft. I do own Microsoft, and I do think it's a little bit rich. The stock's gotten ahead of itself. It's a great company. They've been, they've been crushing it on, uh, on every vertical, really. Last night we had an interesting analyst talk about how Teams could really be a next driver for Microsoft. That aside, though, if it's too big of a bet, you've only missed the top by two days, right? So if it's too big a bet of part of your portfolio, then you've got to sell some, and that's okay. Um, you, you know, don't, you, you don't, don't feel like, oh, I missed the very top tick, so now I can't sell any. That doesn't matter. I mean, if it's too big for, for what, uh, the rest of your portfolio, then you have to sell some. For me, it's not too big. There have been many points where I wish oh, I should have bought more, um, so I'm not selling any right here, even though I think the valuation's a little high. All right. Another high flyer uh, that felt the pressure in today's rally, Tesla. Its rally screeching to a halt, down 9% today. Philip Bowe's got the details on what uh, helped send Tesla, sending Tesla careening so dramatic. Phil. And Melissa, this was the third straight day with a loss of greater than 4% for Tesla. That rarely happens for this stock. If you take a look at this stock over the last week, remember on Tuesday when it touched just over $500 a share? A lot of people were saying, all right, $500? When do we get to $550? When do we get to $600? Yeah, not so fast. It's down to $407 today, a decline of 19%. 19% just since Tuesday. And now, if you look at it over the last three months, keep in mind this stock since early June has more than doubled, up 131%. And all of this raises the question, what are the true catalysts that are out there? We're not talking about momentum. We're talking about data points that people can say, okay, do I think these guys can go higher or is it time to pull back? You've got battery day on September 22nd, Q3 deliveries the first three days of next month, somewhere in that time frame, and then Q3 results coming in late October and then or early November, somewhere in there. And as Tesla sold off today, we also saw a sell-off in the uh, electric vehicle stocks, if you will. We're talking about Nikola, Neo, Workhorse, Xpeng, the uh, electric vehicle company out of China, all of them down more than 5%. But there is still another EV-related spec today, QuantumScape. QuantumScape is based in San Jose, California. It is going to have a, a SPAC IPO coming in the fourth quarter. They've got some big-time investors behind this company. They work on long-range electric vehicle batteries that they hope to have to market by 2025. Bill Gates, Volkswagen, Shanghai Automotive, they're all corporate investors in this company. And again, the EV SPACs keep coming, Melissa. All right, Phil, thank you. And speaking of Tesla, Vito in Florida has got a question. Good afternoon. 
Thank you for having me on the show. My name is Vito from Shalimar, Florida. I have a question for those who are trying to get into Tesla after the split. They didn't have the opportunity prior. Where are we going? September is a hard month. Tesla's coming out with new stuff. I'd like your professional opinion on where we're going. Stick with Tesla? Or should we sell Tesla? <laughs> it's very dramatic. I didn't know if you caught Vito <laughs> taking his glasses off at the end or sell Tesla. Very dramatic. Very I mean, effective, this is, Vito. This is inside very dramatic inside baseball stuff i don't have what you call a return so i'm actually staring at the lens of a camera so unfortunately i didn't see Vito doing his um his his best robert de niro <laughs> imitation by Basically. taking his glasses off and staring into the lens <laughs> with that said i don't necessarily understand his question you know you didn't have the opportunity you always have an opportunity to get in or out of a stock regardless of splits when it splits if announces split so i just want to make that clear but I think his question is, is it too late to get in the name or where should you get into the name? I think in the after hours now, if I'm not mistaken, the stock closed around 408. I think it's trading 390 now. I think the 350 level for a myriad of different reasons makes a lot of sense. I don't know if we get there, and I'm sorry about the dogs, but 350 veto gets you done. Apparently Flip and Russell agree, but does Bonowin agree? <laughs> Um, well, yeah, I mean, I, I do want to reiterate it, and I know you're tired of hearing this, but the stock split, that's not a driver of value. So I, that's point A. In terms of if you liked the stock before, I'd like to know why, right? Because it's not a valuation play. So it means to me that you buy into the EV secular trend. So if you loved it at 500 and you really love it at 400 so uh, sure, if, if you wanted to buy it pre-split, the only thing I would say is go back and look at the level, the pre-breakout level before the split. And I think it was around that $250, $300 level. That's where I would look to buy it if you're trying to replicate where it was before the split. All right. We've got some uh, news here developing on Jewel. Let's get to Aditi Roy with the very latest. Aditi. Do we have you, Aditi? All right, we've got a report from the journal here uh, that Jewel is planning to lay off about half of its workforce. We will get some more details on that uh, coming up. Meantime, social stocks getting caught in a crowded trade collapse. We'll check in on the damage, plus just days after hitting new record highs. Has the home builder shaken to their foundations? We'll break it down. Stick around. Much more of this bonus hour Fast Money coming up. Welcome back to a bonus hour, Fast Money. Let's take a look at the home builders falling with the broader market just days after the group hit new record highs. Diana Olick's got the details behind this sell-off. Diana. Yeah, Melissa, the home builders have been really super hot given the extraordinary recovery in home sales this summer, especially new construction in the suburbs and the exurbs. Take a look at the home builders ETF down over 4% on the day. And even really strong fundamentals didn't help some of the biggest names. Arizona-based Taylor Morrison gave some very strong August results this morning, showing net new orders up 70% annually. That stock posted a strong recovery since the big drop in March, but still lost on the day. And Miami-based Lennar also doing very well year-to-date with very strong sales, 
over the last quarter, but losing on the day. Same with DR Horton, which is especially benefiting from its entry-level product. That stock up 33% year-to-date. Really, the issue is that so many of the builders have been the darlings of this summer rally. They're a bit overbought, and the builders often tend to move on mortgage rate news. But rates have been dropping all week now, below 3% on the 30-year fix again. And even that didn't help due to the sell-off in the broader market. Melissa. All right, Diana, thank you, Diana Olick. Our next question is on the home building industry from Jake, who's asking about Toll Brothers. I'm here to talk to you about the home building industry. As much as you hate to hear it, work from home is here to stay. The house is more important now than ever. We're looking at low mortgage rates, low supply, new home sales up 14% in July. What company could best benefit from this environment? Well, how about a luxury home building company, 10.5% off pre-COVID highs that just beat earnings? And that's Toll Brothers. The street is not as hot on the name as I am. Let me know your thoughts because I'm ready to build. He even had the hard hat, Karen. Uh, what do you tell Jake? He did. Uh, I didn't see that. Uh, thanks for, thanks for the, uh, the question, Jake. I guess, you know, um, Toll is a little bit different. It's obviously a higher price point. Um, it's much more of a luxury product as opposed to sort of a first-time home buyer. Um, although it has underperformed versus Lennar and Pulte and, um, and uh, Horton, Dear Horton this year. And so I'd probably be inclined to be in one of those instead. But I do like the macro. I do like the space. The, the pull-off doesn't, the pullback rather doesn't really bother me. I think all the fundamentals that we like for, what, for the reasons to like it before are still in place. They got a little ahead of themselves. But for me, I would probably be in one of the other, a Pulte or Lennar or, or Dior Horton. Guy? It's interesting. I'm sure Jake is a Fast Money fan. And about a week and a half or so ago, we talked about the three names that Karen just discussed. We said DHI has been off to the races, trading north of 70 bucks, probably goes higher. That's sort of what happened. We said Pulte Homes, PHM, was bumping against its February highs, probably time to take profits. And we said the laggard really has been Toll Brothers. And that one when the stock was trading like 41 and a half, 42. And we thought there was a chance it would get back to its February high of 49. That's how it played out. So, Jake, in terms of trading these names, I'm sort of with Karen here. I think you stay with DHI if you in the name uh, and you're looking for a pullback to the mid 40s or so, 44 and a half in Toll Brothers. I think you're going to get it. And I think that's your entry point. All right. Still more to come on this extra hour of Fast Money. Amid the sweeping sell-off, one unexpected bright spot, cruise lines will find out why and what it could signal about a broader COVID recovery to come. Welcome back to our special hour of Fast Money. Amid the sea of red, cruise lines stood out as a bright spot in today's market. Let's get to Seema Modi to break down this rally in this group. Seema. Melissa, an odd thing happened today. The cruise lines, which typically lead the market lower in these sell-offs we've seen in 2020, were in fact one of the few stocks that traded higher today on news that Carnival is slowly resuming sailings in Europe, starting with two ships this Sunday in Italy, the hope is that if the ships remain COVID-free, Carnival will be able to gradually bring more sailings to Europe and possibly the U.S. It comes after the cruise industry came to a halt five months ago, pushing all three cruise lines, Carnival, Royal and Norwegian, to raise billions of dollars in debt at high interest rates to survive in this no-revenue environment. The CEOs of all three major cruise lines over the past month have been making the case that looking further out to 2021, bookings are trending higher. But, Melissa, 
Travel requires confidence, and if there are any signs of sicknesses on board, quarantining of passengers, similar to what we saw at the height of the pandemic in March, that will certainly raise some serious concerns about when Americans can set sail. Remember, the CDC still has not provided any guidance on if and when it will give the U.S. cruise line industry the green light to resume operations. Despite today's gains, some important context to put into note here: cruise operators still down as much as 70% on the year, led by Norwegian Cruise Line, which has is the most levered cruise operator. Melissa. Seema, thank you. Seema Modi. So can the cruise lines right the ship, so to speak? Our next question comes from Neil and his eight-year-old son, Walker, on the cruise industry. Hey, Fast Money. I'm Neil, and this is my son. Walker, and I have a question for y'all. Should I buy more, sell, or hold on Norwegian and Carnival cruise lines? Thanks. Thanks, guys. You always get a bonus point for... Uh, including a cute kid. Guy, what do you, what do you tell Walker? <laughs> well, I think, first of all, Walker, you're the man. You should, when we do get back to New York, come and visit us for sure. Uh, Karen would agree with this. And you said buy, sell, or hold. Karen correctly would say that if you're holding something, you've effectively chosen to buy it because you've made the decision that, that today's closing price, you're comfortable owning it. So let's just focus on buy and sell. I think to what Seema just said, Maybe the worst is over in terms of the stocks for the cruise lines. So given the choices of buy or sell Carnival Cruise, I'd say buy CCL. Hmm. Bonham, what would you say about cruise operators? Uh, well, I'm still marveling at um, the intelligence of this kid, much smarter than I was at that age. And I'm going to channel my uh, inner guy Adami here and pull up an anecdotal tidbit. My parents, when I was his age and I used to get in trouble, would tell me I was cruising for a bruising. And that pretty much sums up my feelings about the space. Ballooning debt, I don't think you have the consumer confidence to get back on ships. And yesterday I likened it to the airlines, which actually have a business segment that at least drive forward sales. I see none of that on the landscape for cruise lines. And I'm fine missing this one. I just, I can't, I can't convince myself to get involved. I, I just can't do it. Yeah. Karen, thoughts for Walker? Yeah, this I'm I'm with Bonwin. I it's the debt, you know, um, that that that's you don't see it. You just look at the stock price, but there's a lot of debt, and it's really expensive debt. They had to pay a lot of money to be able to sell the debt to buy them some time until they would could operate again. And so uh, the enterprise value is expensive. So I, I really wish the cruise industry well. Maybe I also have a little bit of bias that. The idea of cruising isn't that interesting to me, so I don't get the appeal. So I might not be the right person. I just, uh, it doesn't, and it really post-COVID, it doesn't seem particularly appealing. So this is one that also I would miss. I have other stuff that's uh, post-pandemic, uh, you know, um, bullish, but this would be one I wouldn't play. I think Dan called it the flotilla of covid in the early days of the pandemic. <laughs> Very vivid imagery. Um, a different story, though, for the consumer. When you take a look at the restaurant stocks today, Kate Rogers is breaking down uh, the hit that the group took. Kate. Hey, Melissa, that's right. Restaurant selling off today with the broader market. But one trend that we did notice is that the stocks that have really performed best over the last few months with COVID-19 wound up dropping more than other names in the sector today. Take a look at this. Wingstop, the best performer of the year in the restaurant space so far, 
closing down 6% today. Chipotle and Papa John's both closing down 3% and Domino's down around 1.5%. But year to date, those names are all up between 35 and 75% as they've proven that they can really cater to consumers in this new normal. We should also note too, that group as a whole is hiring tens of thousands of workers, everything from new restaurant positions to delivery positions. Analysts have really pointed out that this is a group that can perform well in both a faster and slower reopening environment. One other thing to note, some good news in the sector, despite today's sell-off, customer transaction declines at major restaurant chains have improved for the week ended August 16th, down just 9%. The first single-digit decline that we've actually had after 21 weeks, Melissa, of double-digit drops due to COVID-19. Back over to you. All right, Kate, thanks. Kate Rogers, uh, the lowdown on the restaurants. Uh, Guy Dami, for those viewers who didn't get a chance to see the 5 o'clock, you actually said, CMG, you'd go in here on this pullback. Yeah, and it's had a tremendous pullback. It's barely a pullback. Stock's had a ridiculous run. And you're going to read about CMG 10 years from now in terms of some of the great turnaround stories of all time. So I would say with CMG, McDonald's we've been talking about, Tim uh, Seymour as well, that scares me a little bit, only because it's had a big run, seemingly has failed at the 220 level, which is where we topped out a year or so ago. So given the choice, we play this game, would you rather? I would still rather CMG in the entire space. Although McDonald's fared fairly well, relatively speaking, compared to the group, as well as the broader markets, Karen. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's a little bit expensive. Uh, It's expensive to itself. It's a little bit expensive to the market. But, you know, they're transforming their business. And um, I, I, I love what they've been able to do. I think that if we get people back in offices, they and the Starbucks of the world will see improvement from the breakfast business which is hurting. So I, I like McDonald's. And then the last one, I, I, Domino's Pizza has just, it's not cheap at all, but they're tremendous operators. And for years they've been doing it. And I, the pandemic has just brought them to a whole new level. So that's another one that I like. I mean, you can't get pizza anywhere. Frozen pizzas on, in short supply. <laughs> Domino's is popular. Bonwin, I don't know how much pizza you eat. Um, enough. Um, as I loosen up my belt here. Um, but yes, I think a lot of these stocks that essentially have this fast leisure aspect to them, whether you can eat in when the dining rooms are open, drive through delivery options, I think those are really the, the best well positions. But I, I'm, I'm with Guy here. I do like Domino's, but I also like um, Chipotle, even though, yes, it's expensive on both a stock price and valuation basis. But I think they're industry leaders in terms of bringing healthy food to a wide array of demographics. And I think the, the way that they've been treating their employees with leadership programs and education, I think that they're just they set the, the bar so high. Um, and I think other people will follow suit. All right. Coming up on this special bonus hour, Fast Money, even amid the race for a COVID vaccine, biotech and pharma not escaping today's sell off. We got the latest right after this. Welcome back to a special bonus hour of Fast Money. Biotech stocks getting hit in the broader market sell off. This is the race for a COVID vaccine is gathering steam. Meg Terrell's got the very latest. Hi, Meg. Hey, Melissa, it sure is gathering steam. If we're thinking about this as kind of a horse race among these companies developing COVID-19 vaccines, the first two out of the gate are Moderna 
and Pfizer. They both started their phase three clinical trials in late July, and they are updating weekly or even more than that in terms of the enrollment numbers in those trials. Pfizer updating today saying now 23,000 of those 30,000 people have been enrolled. Uh, Moderna is expected to update after the close tomorrow, so we'll see where they are. But Pfizer's CEO making some statements today that raised some eyebrows. I mean, really reiterating things he'd said before, but sounding very optimistic that they will have data that shows them whether their vaccine works by the end of October. Uh, and if they do, they'll be able to file for approval shortly thereafter. Uh, that w- question on, on that timeline was posed to multiple advisors to the White House. Dr. Anthony Fauci uh, saying to CNN that it's unlikely, not impossible, but that most people feel it's going to be November or December when we see whether these vaccines work. Monsef Slowy, the head of Operation War speed saying there's a quote very very low chance the trials that are running as we speak could read out before the end of October. So we'll see, you know, who's right here. One thing to point out is that Pfizer, while it will be selling its vaccine to the government and is included in Operation Warp Speed, it's not participating with the government in terms of the government being involved in running those trials. So perhaps that's why it's being a little bit less uh, or a little bit more aggressive than we're hearing from Moderna. Meanwhile, Mel, uh, a new set of companies has jumped into the race in human trials today. Sanofi and GlaxoSmithKline saying they began their phase one and they plan to start their phase three in December if all goes well. So we are really off to the races. All right, Meg, thank you, Meg Terrell. Uh, once upon a time, Guy, and I mean once upon a time meaning like a couple months back, you get a positive headline like that uh, from the Pfizer CEO, and you'd see not only that stock rally, but the entire markets rally off of that. We didn't get a single iota of lift to anything on the back of those comments. So you ask yourself, are we at the point of diminishing marginal Mm -hmm. returns? And I think the answer is yes in terms of the individual stocks and what it means for the broader market. I think tomorrow was yesterday, excuse me, was proof positive of that. You had the knee jerk reaction higher on the CDC headlines and you obviously saw it today. You know, I'll say again, there's certain things you want to happen at warp speed. I don't think uh, vaccines are one of those things, respectfully. So that's something you really want to push through. But with that said, I do think the winner of this, the company that emerges victorious, is going to wind up being a stock we haven't talked about. IBB, the biotech uh, ETF, I get very concerned on a close below 125, a close at 130 today. That's what you need to be looking at. Yeah, and you're looking at that, Bono, in IBB. Yeah, yep, yep. I'm all over the IBB. Um, Listen, Guy knows these uh, biotech and pharmaceutical names much better than I do. What I will say is a lot of these have been trending downward or trading sideways, consolidating, and you just don't know, right? Particularly if you're betting on a vaccine here. So I think, again, I think the innovation, whether it be prevention, treatment, or vaccination is going to come from this space. And trying to pick the winner, I just think is, you know, it's it's exercise in, in futility. All right, there's a little more time left in this special bonus hour, Fast Money. The hard lessons learned after a tough trading day that took almost everybody by surprise. We'll be back with those. How do we prep for tomorrow after a day like today? Let's go around the horn here and get our thoughts from our traders. Guy, first thing that you look at tomorrow morning is what? First thing... Yeah, well, it's interesting. Uh, a couple things. The bond market is always a tell for me. I want to see where, ten, where 20-year yields in form of TLT are headed. I think that's a tell. Uh, I also want to see what's going on in precious metals. I do think you're going to see a spike in gold, and that's something else I'm looking at. I think if you're bullish in the overall market quickly, I think you want to see an open significantly lower and climb from there into the long weekend. 
Karen, some advice, particularly for the novice traders out there who might not have experienced a sell-off like this ever before. Um, well, if you're if you're uh, been around a long time like I have, you've seen this t many times. It's painful, but buying the dip has been the right thing to do. I don't know that this is the dip. I think there's more dip to come. I like to buy on a day, like Guy said, when the market opens down a lot and then rallies. Although I think if it opens down a lot tomorrow, it's not going to rally into the long weekend. So I got my list of things that I want to own. And um, probably come next week, I'll be looking to buy them. The, the FedExes of the world, the Lowe's, that kind of name, Walmart. And if you didn't own any banks, I would probably be buying some banks. But if you can't afford to lose money, right. th then you can't buy the dip. Bono, and quick thoughts here? Make a list, pick a level, and that way you can own with conviction. Yeah, Don't you, try to catch falling knives. You mentioned some of the stocks you like, banks, transports. Those are the names that you'd be looking for. Yep. Diversified names. All right. Guy Dami, Karen Feinerman, Bono and Eisen, thank you all. And thank you out there for joining us for the special bonus hour of Fast Money. Be sure to tune in tomorrow at 6 for Summer School with Frank Holland and Josh Brown. Meantime, Shark Tank is up next. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.